0: Welcome to the person you want to be. I am your host, Eric Teplitz, bringing you today another solo edition of the podcast. This is an audio essay entitled, How to Build Self-Discipline. Have you ever set a goal for yourself, taken some action in that direction, and then Lost your resolve before achieving it? Great. That means that you're not an AI. You're a human being. And this audio essay is for you. Whatever your unrealized goal might have been, losing 30 pounds, writing a book, cleaning your house, I am willing to bet that self-discipline was a necessary component of achieving it. So I'd like to share here a seven-step process for how you can build self-discipline derived from my own experience training for and completing my first-ever marathon. Note that these steps can be directly applied to many other goals, not just finishing a 26.2-mile foot race. That said, I will use the example of my marathon journey to elucidate each step. Step number one, decide that something is worth doing. This step is deceptively simple. For the first 30 years of my life, the thought of running a marathon held less than zero appeal to me. Running for 26.2 consecutive miles? That sounds like torture. Why would anyone voluntarily do such a thing? But a little over a year later, sure enough, I signed up for the LA Marathon. So, what changed? Well, in the interim, I had purchased a mountain bike and really enjoyed riding it from my apartment to the beach, which then led me to doing some longer rides. That got me curious about doing a short course triathlon. By short course, I mean specifically the distances of a half-mile swim, 18-mile bike ride, and four-mile run. I trained for and managed to complete this despite my seriously subpar swimming skills. This was a significant personal achievement, having never before done a race of any kind. It was such a positive and life-affirming experience that soon after, I started to wonder what else I might be capable of. Browsing one day at a bookstore I picked up a copy of a book called The Non-Runner's Marathon Trainer and read the introduction. I was intrigued and inspired. I purchased the book and went right home and registered for the LA race. The point here is that in my case, it took 31 years before I decided that running a marathon was something that I felt was worth doing. How do you know if something is worth doing for you? I would argue that you need to want to do it or want the reward or experience it will bring you so much that you are willing to commit to it. You have to be willing to embrace everything about it that might and likely will be uncomfortable. So, it can't be an arbitrary goal, or in my opinion, one that someone else sets for you. It has to mean something to you, deep down. This will be necessary in order for you to be able to see through the remaining steps. Step number two, come up with a realistic schedule. You will need to schedule the time to regularly incorporate the work required to reach your goal. You cannot just rely on your excitement or motivation because these will come and go. A schedule means you are to do the work on a given day, put in the time, reps, etc., Not because you feel like it, but because you are honoring your commitment to yourself. In my case, coming up with a schedule was easy because it was already outlined in a single table on page 2 of the Non-Runners Marathon Trainer. The authors prescribe a 16-week training program consisting of four runs per week, each one listed on the table by mileage. All I had to do was work backwards from the date of the race and follow the weekly schedule, including the chapter readings. The most important feature of whatever schedule you come up with for yourself is that it is realistic, based on your knowledge of yourself and the specifics of your current situation. For example, I knew that the only way I was going to ensure the completion of my weekday runs was by getting up super early and fitting them in before work. After a full day at the workplace, all bets were off as to what I might have energy and willpower left for. So, getting up early to run is exactly what I did. This sometimes meant saying no to activities that would keep me up late or otherwise interfere with my plan. Step number three, push through the discomfort and do the thing. Well, there's no getting around this. When the calendar or clock or phone or alarm says it is time, it is time. If what you are committing to is something you are not used to doing, keep in mind that it will take some time to get used to it and to make it a routine. The good news is that getting over that hurdle of discomfort in the name of seeing through an important commitment you made to yourself is hugely empowering. This is the real muscle you are building. Step number four, gradually increase the dosage. Start as small as you need to. You may feel, for instance, that you can do anything for one minute. And then increase the dosage gradually from there. The book that I used to guide me through my marathon training, written specifically for beginners or quote-unquote non-runners, remember, suggests giving yourself an additional month or so prior to beginning the 16-week program to build up to running a distance of three miles, which is the distance of the first official training run in week one. The weekly mileage of the runs in the training program itself then increases gradually. Step number five experience the benefits. Stick with anything long enough, and you are likely to see tangible progress. Pages written, improved mood or physique, a greater ease with something that was at first difficult. Not to mention feelings of accomplishment. Once I surpassed runs of six miles in length in my training program, Each week's quote-unquote long run became the longest distance I had ever run in my life. Along with self-discipline, you are building self-confidence. Knowing that you can push through discomfort for some higher cause is a priceless gift that only you can give to yourself. There is great satisfaction to be found in working toward a goal you have deemed meaningful or important. In fact, don't tell anyone, but that's where the real juice is, often more than in the accomplishment of the goal itself. You are probably learning another of life's great secrets at this point. The doing of the activity is usually not the hardest part. It's the getting yourself to do it, overcoming inertia, starting. Often, the activity itself feels good once you get into it. Once you are involved and engaged, you may even experience flow states and genuine joy. Now, if you're not getting anything positive out of the enterprise, if you're truly not enjoying what you are doing or not feeling good about it at all after what feels like a reasonable amount of time and effort, and by the way, maybe get some feedback from people who have accomplished what you are trying to do as to what constitutes reasonable Maybe you have come to the realization that what seemed worth doing was more of a should seem worth doing than a burning desire from within. That's okay. I've done this. (laughs) All is not lost. Maybe you have clarified something for yourself and can let go of this particular goal at least for now. There is liberation in that. Acknowledge yourself for your efforts. They have not been totally in vain. You have stretched yourself. You have explored something and gotten a sense of what it is like based on the reality of it, not simply conjecture. You no longer have to expend mental bandwidth wondering about it. You've probably learned new things, too, some of which may even come to unexpected use to you in the future. So whether you feel disappointed or relieved, or maybe a bit of both, the experience is still a win. It means that you can now make room for something else in your life, something that currently feels more alive for you. When ready, return to step number one, which, as you may recall, was decide that something is worth doing. Moving on to step number six. Step number six, draw upon your growing points of reference. Okay, if you've made it this far, you're committed likely enjoying the process to some degree, and are on your way. Still, motivation will naturally wax and wane. Sometimes you'll be decidedly unmotivated, despite the progress you have made. This is where drawing upon your growing points of reference is essential. And it's step number six for a reason. You need to first have accumulated some successes, built some momentum, and experienced some benefits in order to implement it. Almost always, I felt better after a training run than I did before I started. By recalling through your own actual lived experiences and memories that A, You are capable of taking action even when you don't feel like it, and B, you have benefited from doing so, maybe even felt substantially better as a result. It's much easier to convince yourself to take action again, to get over that ever-present hurdle of starting, because you know you will thank yourself for doing so. The more instances your brain can refer back to of having shown up and been glad that you did afterward, the more persuasive your case to yourself will be when yourself is in need of persuading. This is a game changer and can make all the difference in building and maintaining self-discipline. It's a powerful technique, but you have to earn the privilege of accessing it by moving through the previous steps. Step number seven, feel discomfort when you're not doing the thing. Think of a healthy habit that is now second nature to you. Maybe it's brushing and hopefully flossing your teeth every day. Occasionally, something may interfere with your routine of getting this done perhaps being out of your usual environment or feeling under the weather. With an ingrained habit, you will likely start to feel antsy if too much time passes without your having done it. Congratulations, you've made it to step number seven, feeling discomfort when you're not doing the thing. It might appear to someone else who has not habituated this particular behavior, to be a remarkable display of self-discipline. She's so consistent, brushing her teeth every day. Amazing! But in fact, it does not require a great deal of will for you to get yourself to brush your teeth. It's practically automatic. Because it has become a bona fide habit. On March 7th, 2004, at the age of 31, I did something that for most of my life up to that point, I never imagined I would even consider doing, let alone accomplish. I ran a marathon. Here's an excerpt from my journal entry the following morning. I did it! Yesterday... I ran and finished the 19th annual Los Angeles Marathon. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. The last three to four miles were excruciating. But I did it! The spirit of the whole scene was incredibly positive. I was amazed at all of the well-wishers, cheerleaders, and volunteers giving out water, etc. Truly heartwarming and human race affirming. Lots of folks saw my name on my bib and cheered me on. I tried to sprint at the very end, anticipating an adrenaline surge, but it simply wasn't there. I don't even know how I managed to jog that last 1.2 miles. I tapped into something way deep, possibly even beyond me. Probably even beyond me. I was nearly in tears towards the end and at the end. And had I reunited with someone there at the finish, I probably would have been. What an experience! An amazing challenge, physically and mentally. For many people, completing a marathon is a one-and-done goal or experience. Nothing wrong with that at all. But in my case, I kept going. I was hooked. Over the next decade, I employed what I learned from this undertaking and completed a bunch of half marathons, two more full marathons, a number of century rides, those are 100-mile or longer cycling events, and triathlons of various distances, culminating in an Ironman triathlon, which is a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and full 26.2-mile marathon, back-to-back-to-back in a single day. The Iron Man, by the way, took me three attempts to complete. If you had told my younger self that I would accomplish any of these things, I would have told you that you were absolutely, unquestionably, and certifiably out of your mind. And yet... We are capable of so much more than we tend to believe ourselves to be. The seven steps I have just outlined can help you build the self-discipline needed to accomplish any number of goals. Even in cases where some modification of these steps, or the wording of them, may be necessary, the underlying principles will still apply. So those seven steps, once again, are Step number one, decide that something is worth doing. Step number two, come up with a realistic schedule. Step number three, push through the discomfort and do the thing. Step number four, gradually increase the dosage. Step number five, experience the benefits. Step number six, draw upon your growing points of reference. And finally, step number seven, feel discomfort when you're not. Doing the thing. While self-discipline may seem like an elusive trait, it's really nothing more than the manifestation of ingrained, helpful habits. It is a muscle that is built through showing up repeatedly for something you have determined to be important or meaningful. And it's yours for the building. I will leave you with this quote from Will Durant, quote, We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit, unquote. If you enjoyed this episode of The Person You Want to Be, Please consider subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast platform. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and review for the show would be greatly appreciated. Video versions of each episode are available on my YouTube channel, which is simply my name, Eric Teplitz. You can visit my website, ericteplitz.com, to sign up for my free newsletter, schedule a free one-on-one coaching call with me, and much more. Once again, that's Eric Teblitz, E-R-I-C-T-E-P-L-I-T-Z dot com. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope this episode inspires you to take at least one action today in the direction of becoming the person you want to be.